You're listening to the Social Spectrum Podcast with Gina Galliotto. Here we prove that success on social media and in entrepreneurship is not one size fits all and discuss thriving online through the lens of different personality types, lifestyles, and neurodiversity. Success lives on a spectrum, so your impossible search for the one right way to grow your online business ends here. On the Social Spectrum Podcast, we'll unfold your right way instead. Let's dive in. Before we get into this episode, I do want to give a quick disclaimer for you. The value in this episode is gold, so I still wanted to share it, but unfortunately, I made a mistake and did not have my audio settings correct during the recording of this episode. So my end of the conversation particularly is a lower quality audio than you'll be used to hearing. However, my guest Kaya has incredible value to share and a ton of tea to spill about succeeding as a micro creator. So that being said, let's dive in. Welcome to the Social Spectrum podcast. Thank you so much for being here. I'm seriously so excited about this episode because I get to catch up with my friend Kaya. Hi, Kaya. Hello, hello. (laughs) But for anyone who doesn't know you, can you just quickly introduce yourself a little bit? Yeah. um, Hello, I'm Kaya. I am the content creator behind Comfy Girl Curls, which is a hair beauty lifestyle brand. Started as a blog, but we're basically on every platform in existence now, <laughs> as well as creating with Kao, which is a bit newer, where I pull the curtain back and kind of hopefully help aspiring content creators navigate the crazy world of content creation. Absolutely. So I really want to talk about a few experiences you've had, and that would be your experience with brand collaborations, because you definitely have some prestigious brands under your belt, starting a new Instagram account in 2023, because you've been doing that. And then your transition to full-time content creation, because I know that was quite a ride for you. I got to see that from the sidelines. So before we do get into that, though, I do want to like tell the story of just how we met and like... Talk a little bit about that to set the tone. So um, we actually met through the Stanford Creators brand, and that's the LinkedIn bio site that we both use for anyone who doesn't know. You probably used it to navigate to this podcast episode. And yeah, so Stan has a creator cohort and a Slack channel for the ambassadors. And we spread the word about Stan, and we were invited from that group to go to an event in New York. That was about a year ago, I think. Yes. Yeah, just over a year now. And I was so nervous. I was like so out of my element there. It was my first event. And I got to sit down on the couch with Kaya and just like relax and like talk to her. And my nerves kind of melted away. And then we got to connect again a few months later, I think, Mm -hmm. for Stan. So that's how we kind of connected. That's how we grew our connection and how we are here. And I do also just to let you know I didn't prep you for these questions on purpose there's just two questions I didn't prep you for but (laughs) for the podcast I really want it to be about like different perspectives I want to look at success on social media and entrepreneurship from multiple personalities energy levels backgrounds just to prove that it's not one size fits all that success is possible for everyone so that being said my two questions are Number one, would you describe yourself as an introvert or an extrovert? Full on introvert. (laughs) But I do always like to specify that I'm not shy. I think I've had like a lot of experiences that have forced me to be good with people, but I recharge by being alone and I get really burnt out by people really fast. I'm exactly the same. So that being said, then what are some other words that you would describe yourself 
as. Ooh. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> no pressure. In in what sense? Like how in terms of the the spectrum that we're talking about? Personality and maybe your brand. Just a couple words to describe yourself. Ooh. Okay. Well, I think um, for anybody who does follow the Myers-Briggs, I'm a full-on INFP. So a lot of words that come with that are like creative, the dreamer. There's a lot of big goals without a lot of action and planning behind it. Yeah, yeah. And then I would also just say, like getting a lot of inspiration from a lot of your content, I feel like I definitely swing a lot between like high energy, low energy, like very drastic swings, as well as very hyper-focused to like unable to move. So I'm not going to like self-diagnose, but I definitely relate to a lot of the descriptors for like ADHD because I really struggle to focus on anything and everything. See, I'm sorry. To, I'm sorry to put you on the spot there, but I That's love those out of you from it because I think so many people listening experience that. Obviously, we're not alone in that. And it's so important to point that out because at the beginning, especially for me, like I thought those were things about myself that meant I was going to fail. And so, you know, here we are, both of us. So that's why I'm excited to talk to you about this. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Now let's kind of talk about what a lot of people are probably wondering. And I want to start with some brand collaboration talk. So Tell me a little bit about some of the brands that you've created for and when you started creating content in general. Yeah. So first I started creating just over seven years ago. I started with my blog and all of the social media platforms kind of came up at the same time, but I definitely identified as a blogger first and I was very willy nilly. So it took a long time to get my first brand partnership. It was probably like four or five years in. But now fast forward today, I feel so grateful to have worked with brands like Pinterest, Google, Adobe, um, on the hair and beauty side, like CoverGirl, Olay. It's definitely still kind of like a pinch me moment to say that like I've had the honor of working with such well-known brands. Yeah. I mean, even just saying those out loud, I'm sure every time you do, it's just like, I can't even believe that. That's unbelievable. And you've also attended and spoken at some events, some pretty big events, right? So can you share a little bit of that and the experience doing that? Absolutely. So two of the biggest speaking events to date have been actually through my partnership with Google. So I collaborated with them and spoke at both VidCon Abu Dhabi and VidCon uh, US in Anaheim, which like, it's I think, um, especially because you follow me and like, we're friends. I feel like you know that I struggle to actually talk about that because it still feels like not real. And like, yeah, it, it just, I don't, I don't even know. But both of those opportunities were to speak on my journey as a blogger and kind of showing that blogging is still really valuable. So they were looking at somebody who had a existing blog, an active blog to be able to speak to the power of that instead of just being like, hi, we're Google, we know everything. (laughs) They wanted to kind of pull somebody with a lived experience to do so, which was really crazy because I don't think I would have otherwise had the opportunity to or even like go to VidCon for free. (laughs) Because like you look at the creators that are usually there, it's these massive TikTokers, massive YouTubers. It's a very... And prestigious isn't necessarily the right word, but it's like a, it's a goal for a lot of creators to like be at VidCon or hosted 
at VidCon. That's huge. And I'm sure, I mean, I don't know about you, but like I can talk on TikTok all day, but I would be so nervous talking in front of everybody. So were you super, were you super excited? How do you feel before? Oh, I definitely was nervous, but I have this, I'm realizing that I actually really like public speaking, which is something I never thought I would say. But I think it's because I'm talking about things I truly know as well as my own journey. So I've had some like recent local speaking engagements too. And a lot of those have just been walking people through my journey. And it's kind of like this podcast, right? It's like you're asking questions that I know I'm not trying to memorize information. I can trust that my own journey is true. (laughs) And I just hope that in sharing it, it's providing value. So there's always that like first wave of nerves. And then it just kind of melts away because it's like, well, (laughs) this is me. Yep. I'm talking about it. Here we are. Yeah, that's really cool. I really admire that. Hopefully one day I'll be able to say I like the thought of public speaking too. It still makes me feel nervous. It's so, so incredible. It's going to be so valuable to be able to pick your brain here with everybody. So I am curious. We've talked about some of your biggest names like Google and Adobe, but what about your some of your favorite brands, either brands to work with or just like concepts you've come up with? Ooh, that's a great question. I would say one of my like ongoing partnerships is like very, very local. It's with a company called Evo Car Chair and they're like only in Vancouver and they actually just spread to Vancouver Island. So it's funny because Vancouver in Canada itself is like a just a percentage of my audience. So it's not something that necessarily resonates with everybody. But because of that, I try to make the content entertaining to everybody or like valuable to everybody, even if they're not going to say sign up for this service. And they give me a lot of freedom. So I think it's been like the most fun because every time I have to do something for them, I challenge myself to say, okay, how can I make this either like visually intriguing? How can I add cool transitions? Like, how can I make it so that somebody will comment like, wow, this is really cool how you filmed this or like, I love this idea. And I love it because not all brands when they give you that much flexibility, a lot kind of have a very strict vision. And it's just so empowering to for them to be like, okay, we want you to highlight this. You tell us what you want to do. And they've honestly never said no <laughs> to anything. <laughs> so yeah, that's been like very rewarding. That sounds great because I totally agree. Those are my favorite ones to work on. It's nice because on one hand, whenever I do have a brief in the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, that's one less thing I have to do is conceptualize it. Mm-hmm. But my best work always comes from like when I have the creative freedom, you know, because it just makes it more exciting to work on and you kind of push yourself more because you weren't like handed the brief. At least that's exactly. Happened. No, I completely relate. Yeah. I'm like, this is coming from my brain. I got to make this like really good. You know, if they hand me the brief, it's like a little bit harder to step into your creative zone. So. Yes. And I feel like sometimes then it, when they're super strict, if it like flops, you're kind of like, well, that was on that. <laughs> but if it's like fully up to you, it's like, ooh, yeah, I probably could have done a better job. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So that being said, as far as creating quality content, like standout content, since we're on the topic of that, I know a lot of creators, especially without huge, huge followings, are struggling to get noticed by brands, let alone giant, amazing brands that you've been able to work with. So what do you think would be maybe your number one advice or a few tips for 
creators who are struggling to either struggling to get noticed or just starting out? Yeah, I think the first thing is a really reflecting on your value add, which I know sometimes that like gets tossed around a lot, but it is really true. Like every niche at this point is oversaturated. And I put that in quotations because I, again, I know people like to throw out that everything's saturated, but that's why we have to really look at like, what are we bringing to the table? And that doesn't always have to be in like the highest quality visuals. Like maybe that is your thing. You love doing that. Like, again, I love playing with transitions. I love playing with my camera and challenging myself on how to make my visuals better. But like, that's my thing. That doesn't have to be your thing. So then the question is, okay, what is your personal experience that you're bringing to the table? Maybe it's your storytelling. Maybe it's your unique lens that you are looking through when you approach this product or service. So I think that that's like, especially now more than ever, if a brand is scrolling through like a hashtag of lifestyle influencers to work with, like that's what's going to make you stand out. Like, yes, the aesthetic, really quick vlogs and stuff like that, like will perform well and maybe reach like a larger audience. But as you're scrolling through, like what is the difference between you and the other person doing it? Like that's not making you stand out to a brand saying like, oh, we want to pay her to do it. Because honestly, if that's the case, they can save money by potentially like aiming for somebody that's not going to like charge them very much or at all to just do some type of copy and paste content. So you really have to find your angle. Yeah, for sure. And I really like that you said that because especially when you were saying looking at, you know, the content that's already put out there and thinking like, what really can I do different? Because I think when coaches like us talk sometimes to our audience and we'll be like, you know, look at what's doing well and put a spin on it. And it's like, what does putting a spin on it really mean? I think people think they can just like recreate it with their own body and frame, you know, and that's their difference. Or like, you know, put a very subtle difference on it. But what it really does mean is like something that you bring to the table that you're not seeing out there. That's an amazing tip. That's, that's, okay. That was super valuable. So is there anything before we switch gears from partnerships? Do you think there's anything else that you want to mention? I will actually just to jump on what you said about the see what's working and then put a spin on it. I think that we need to challenge ourselves to like do a bit more research into what's working because a lot of the times we're just scrolling through our own feed and our own Instagram reels and it's completely configured algorithmically to us. So I think that it's really beneficial to challenge ourselves to search outside of our like little box. So whether that's challenging yourself to look at other industries, other hashtags that you're not normally following, check out the brand's page and look at their tag and seeing who has paid partnership with them, like what kind of people are they working with to sort of widen your scope of what's working. Because I actually find myself really inspired actually by a lot of photography and filmmaker YouTubers. That's not my niche. <laughs> but I am like glued to their content and trying to figure out how I can incorporate some of that into what I'm doing. And that's going to make me stand out in a beauty niche if I'm approaching something like a, a filmmaker <laughs> is. So same sort of thing. If you are in like the coaching space, maybe look at somebody who's in tech doing tech reviews. Like how are they presenting things differently? What's working for them that you can bring into your own content? 
I love that you said that. There's always something to learn from people who are vastly different from you. Like, and we really do that in our ways. Just like you said, because especially these days, the world like is curated for our viewing pleasure pretty much on social media. So it, it has to be intentional whenever you step out and like are looking at everyone on a spectrum. So yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that's amazing. I love that insight. Okay, so I'm excited to talk about this next topic because I'm going to be starting a an Instagram account for the podcast as well. Um, and you just started a new Instagram in 2023, which there's like so much information out there right now about the new algorithm or the new features and all of the changes on Instagram. So it's going to be fun to talk about your experience. So just in general, I mean, how has it been? Like, has it, have you felt stressed taking on that challenge? Has it felt like fun and refreshing to be able to kind of start new? Definitely fun and refreshing, which I didn't anticipate. I was so resistant to starting a new Instagram account. Like it's, we know that it's kind of the slowest growth for the most part out of all of these platforms. I was so determined to keep my content creating tips on Comfy Girl Girls because I saw my Instagram account as a full reflection of me. So I was like, you're going to get all of me here. And that is kind of something that was counter to all of my advice that I was giving. So I think like I had to finally suck it up and separate it. And it was funny because first of all, I had people in my DMs being like, I've been waiting for you to do this. Like, it's about time. I've been like wondering when you were going to do it. And I was like, really? Like, I didn't think I was ever going to do it. (laughs) So like, that was hilarious. But it's just truly been freeing. I'm not putting a lot of pressure on it, but it's just nice to have like a curated space where I know the audience is there for that one thing and that I'm not A, diluting like my message by trying to do everything in one space. And also I'm honoring my audience because it's not like somebody came for hair care content and then I'm like, here's how to grow your business. <laughs> and and vice versa. Like a lot of people ended up coming to me on Comfy Girl Curls when I shared like my income report. And they came wanting content creating tips and they were getting beauty stuff. So it just made sense. And literally the moment I did it, it was this relief. And I think that says a lot to the aspect of the niche. I know there's so much talk about that as well. So misunderstood, but that's a whole episode. It is. (laughs) But it does say a lot to the power of that because I could see the relief that you're feeling with, even though like your audience is not big on your new account right now, you know, they're going to be nurtured to a point that's going to make your business thrive more now because everyone's getting the value that they need. So it does say a lot, I think, to the value of the niche, especially like in business rather than if you're just creating for fun, you know, but if you do business out of it, it says a lot about that. What about time management now with two accounts? Do you feel like you have that down still working on that? How's it been? I think time management is an ongoing struggle for myself. Like I do the irony behind like the relief that I feel in starting this extra account is that now I fully have two separate brands two blogs, two YouTube channels, two Pinterest, two Instagram, two TikToks, all of it. And the reality is that the more you spread yourself, then like the less you can devote to one thing. So I think I've had to accept, or I'm working on accepting that I'm not going to necessarily excel in all the things and all the platforms. 
in one fell swoop. Like I just have to be okay with that. So that's like a sacrifice. But I do find that I can be a bit more intentional and better plan. So like with creating with KF, I know that I'm primarily going to be doing like a lot of carousels, a lot of like, I will hopefully be putting some more reels and video content out, but it's like, okay, I can plan my carousels like way in advance because I'm mostly just using content from a things that I know, (laughs) but also like my YouTube videos, I can take the key points of a YouTube video or of a TikTok that I did and just stick it in a carousel and I can plan that in advance. So it makes it a little bit easier for time management in that way. But (laughs) the reality is I'm still kind of like, we're still living like day to day. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, I just am learning to to be okay with that. Well, it's still (laughs) fine. Yes, yes, exactly. It's very new still. And I also am not putting pressure on myself to post like daily. Like I'm happy if I'm able to post like two to three times a week on each, I'll be okay. Like even if it's once a week, like I'm not stressing over output. I do know that, you know, the more you put out, the quicker you will grow. But yeah, it's not that deep for me. (laughs) I think that's the way to go and putting less pressure on it right now. We'll keep it fun. So you actually want to continue it, you know, thinking sustainable instead of like, coming out of the gate super hard. I think that's always best. What about the differences? Because I know you've just separated the account, but you've always, for a long time, had these kind of two niches within your brand. Mm -hmm. So what's your experience, do you think, as far as one being easier or harder than the other to grow or monetize? Or do you feel like they're, once you have the, the elements down, then they've been pretty equal? What are your thoughts about that? I've been actually doing a lot of thinking on this topic. So it's a great question because I'm realizing more than ever that there are so many different types of creators and so many different niches and they all just naturally lend themselves to like different opportunities and different like types of growth. Like for as simply as the fact that creating with Kea, I'm teaching people how to create a business out of content creating. And there's money talk in that and money (laughs) sells. And it's kind of that thing where on TikTok, you can grow quickly by telling people how to succeed on TikTok. It's stuff that like is inherently attractive to people. So I do think that, you know, if I dedicate a lot of time to creating with K and lean into that aspect, I would be able to grow quickly. But I also don't really like leaning into the money talk personally. So I feel like I'll grow slower. (laughs) So that's like one thing. And then like with hair, beauty, lifestyle, honestly, like aesthetics sell, lifestyle sells, like all of that is what kind of makes you grow. It's that aspirational content. And I guess you could say it boils down to aspirational on both sides, but it's what part of the aspirational are you leaning into? But it's also very interesting in terms of like you say, brand partnerships or like opportunities, monetization. The strategy is very different, I feel. Like if you are an educational-based brand, as Creating with Kea is, a lot of it you're going to look at like maybe digital products, courses. I'm hoping to lean harder into YouTube. So hopefully I'll get like some ad revenue from that. But you have to kind of take a lot of your income monetization strategies into your own hands. Whereas Comfy Girl Curls, 98% of my income is brand deals. And that's enough to sustain myself (laughs) because there's a lot of A, money there. There's a lot of history with influencer marketing working in 
beauty and all of that. And there's also so many different products that you can authentically talk about. Like I can talk about hair, skin, like cleaning products, like everything that has to do with my life and it will fit. Whereas it doesn't make sense. For example, on creating a chaos, I'm actually on both brands, but I'm an Adobe Express ambassador. And it's okay, well, I'm not going to like then be plugging Canva and then all this and all of these other things. Things are a lot more siloed. Same thing, I use Artlist for my music licensing and I like to talk about that. And yes, I'll probably do, I don't work with them or anything, but I will eventually do a review kind of comparing different music licensing software. But at the end of the day, as a user, I'm only using one. So it's like you're, you're kind of, your potential is a little bit more limited, but I feel like the brands are also bigger, if that makes sense. Because it's like, again, you have Adobe, you have Canva, you have all of these like big tech institutions on that side. But I feel like it's harder to be able to convince them of the value of influencer marketing. That's such an interesting perspective because I don't, I have no experience on the lifestyle and obviously with brand partnerships. And so to hear about it, like, it's so in- interesting to hear that, like, you've been able to be noticed by these huge brands and beauty, even though the industry has been around for a while, it just like really proves that it's still possible. It's always possible. Brands are always putting money into that influencer marketing. So it says a lot about that. I think a lot of creators feel, I think, defeated right now because they feel like everyone's a creator these days. At least I hear that a lot from my clients. <laughs> and so hearing that is just like music to my ears. And I'm sure a lot of listeners because it's totally possible still. So it is. It really is. Yeah. There's no shortage of brands is one thing I'll say. Like there's there's no shortage of brands looking to market. So and I think a lot of people would be maybe, I don't know, might be surprised to know that the majority of my income does come from brand partnerships mm-hmm. right now, even being in this side. And I think that is just because influencer marketing in general is growing. So now even the tech minded people who maybe weren't so much are coming over and seeing the value in it. So there's just endless opportunity like everywhere. So super encouraging to hear. Okay, so we kind of switched gears a little bit. from it. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was gonna happen eventually. It's totally my fault. But Again, kind of switching back to Instagram, you know, as mm-hmm. far as attracting brand collaborations, standing out on Instagram, is there anything that you're doing differently on your new account in order to stand out that you haven't necessarily been able to test out on your lifestyle page? One thing, it doesn't necessarily tie into standing out, but it's something I've been mindful in creating a new account is like the people that I follow and the accounts that I engage with. Because I have heard, and I've yet to test it out, but I have heard that, you know, that all of that is feeding information back to Instagram. Like even just if you look at your explore page, that supposedly is what Instagram is categorizing you as, is what it's showing you, supposedly. So I've been a lot more mindful of like if beauty content pops up on my creating with Kea page, I'm saying like, not interested. Like I want this to be a hub for my niche. I want it to be, I want Instagram to fully know like what I'm creating content about. And I'm trying to be really mindful of like the people that I'm following. And that it just like aligns that either they would be interested in my content, or they're providing value on the same topic. So that was kind of the first thing that I really focused on. Second, I would say like, I'm definitely leaning a lot more into carousels, which 
is funny because I know it's like videos, everything, (laughs) but I find that I don't worry so much about that on this page. Like on Comfy Girl Curls, I did it sometimes, but I was really worried about like how it was going to make my feed look because this is a lifestyle page. People want the aesthetics. And here I'm just like, you know what? This is going to be a core strategy. We're here to add value. We're here to create content that people can save and come back to again and again. Whereas Comfy Girl Curls sometimes just felt like vibes. <laughs> and it works. Like I, you could do like a vibey, trendy piece of content and it's cool. But I'm like, that's I'm very conscious to not really do that here unless it truly, truly fits with the content strategy or if I'm really able to spin the trend to make it fit the brand. Yeah, 100%. It's kind of putting your energy into that nurture content 100%. And again, so underestimated, I think by new creators, it's all about like reach and going viral. And I totally understand the serotonin and like good feelings from that. But I hope people listening right now are like, okay, you know, Kaya has a business and she's not focused on going viral. She's focused on nurturing her community. So everyone take notes. (laughs) I will say, and to add to that, I am actually anti-viral. As somebody who has gone viral, it is traumatic. (laughs) Zero out of 10. Actually, okay, I'll say it's like a four out of 10 because the majority of the times I've gone viral, again, has been talking about money. So the times that I've shared like my income report for the year or income recap are the times that I go viral. It's becoming like clockwork. Like I can predict we're going to get millions of views. And so I will say I am grateful because it does help me get in front of new people. But A, it always brings hate and negativity and I'm not built for that. (laughs) And it attracts people who aren't at the core what I'm wanting to reach. Like it's attracting people who think this is a get rich quick scheme. They're seeing like the money, the dollar signs, and they're not seeing any of the work that gets put into it. So when I go to create the more nurturing content or like the really deep dive valuable content, they're not engaging with it. They're not watching it. They're not commenting because like they're turned off. (laughs) They just want to hear like, how can we make some, some good money? So honestly, it's, So it's flooding my following page or following list with people that aren't truly there for the valuable stuff. And I've actually, with Creating with KS, another thing that I've started doing is clearing my following or followers list. So if people are just following me that I'm like, A, it looks like a bot or B, it's like this really, I can tell. You can just, you can just tell. I'll just like gently make them unfollow me. I'll just remove them as a follower. Like I'm not here for the numbers, the inflated numbers. We want the people who are meant to be here. Absolutely. There are serious, serious cons. And I think it's, it's so interesting because I really don't go viral on Instagram, but I have whitelisting me over on Instagram. So their ads are going viral, obviously. And so I've kind of just had my first experience with hate comments, even in the first, after like two years of doing this. And I completely agree that even the people who aren't coming to be mean, like they're there and following me from it, like I am seeing conversion from it. They're not in the place in their journey that I'm coaching on. Mm -hmm. So it's so important to always talk about the cons of virality. I think people like turn their ears off sometimes whenever... (laughs) Talk about this. They're not going to know until they know, you know. 
But I think it's always still really important to talk about that because um, same exact experience here. It's not, and it's not uncommon. I think like so many creators would say, I'd rather not go viral and just nurture because first of all, I tend to get more sales that way too. Even money making wise, I tend to make more money without going viral. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's always really important to know. Okay, so we talked about Instagram a bit. Is there anything I want to talk definitely before we get off about your transition from working a full-time job to being a full-time content creator? Anything else that you want to mention about Instagram and how it's been or any tips for someone who's starting a brand new account? I would say just the final thing is the one thing that I feel has not changed as rocky as these algorithms can be is that like social media is still social and it's so important to a actively seek out your community and then engage with the community that you have because those are the people that are going to like stand in your corner it's like you say those are the people that are going to buy things from you they're going to be watching your latest videos so it's just really 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 important to find and engage and if you're a new account that means that you are actively looking through these hashtags of people that you think will be your ideal audience or are in your same niche. And you are going into their pages and following and commenting heartfelt comments, like genuine conversations. It's so tried and true, but I think it's the thing that people like skip over the most. And I think a lot of people just expect followers without reciprocating anything. Definitely. Especially these days with there being so much information about growth. I think Mm -hmm. people have this feeling now that it's a lot easier than maybe it is. And so it's like, you can't expect the love if you're not giving the love, you know, it's just there's no world where it really happens. So yeah, you're totally right about that. So you know what, I was just thinking about it, Ken, I don't think I know what you did before you became a content creator full time. So what was your job that you left? Well, it's funny if you, if people Google and go far back enough, they haven't taken me off the website, so you can find me. I used to be a facilities coordinator, it's a mouthful, at the BC Children's Hospital Research Institute. And actually, ironically, I know there's probably no video, but I have my mug here from my old job. <laughs> but so basically, I describe myself as being like the Hagrid of my job. I had a massive ring of keys. A lot of responsibility. So I coordinated everything from like renovations to health and safety in the labs because they were research labs to like, oh, a toilet's broken. You got to call the contractor. Like everything to do with the building I did. And I thought it was going to be my job forever because it was a big girl job with pension and benefits and all of that. But here we are. (laughs) When did you start thinking, okay, I might, this might not be my forever job now? Like what kind of happened to start making you? have the inkling that you might quit that job? The biggest thing was landing bigger brand deals. Because I remember my first brand deal ever was three massive rounds of content for $75. And this was, I think, back in like 2017, 2018. And I remember sitting there being like, how much would I have to do to replace my income? And like, the number was just ridiculous. And I just like, this is impossible. I don't know how people do it. It could never happen. But once I started getting brand deals for like a thousand dollars, long-term deals, like I think actually it was when I got my first five-figure deal, I was like, oh, and it was first like several rounds of content. 
but I was like, maybe this could be possible. And so that was like fall of 2021. And like things were like really looking up. Like that's when Google reached out about VidCon Abu Dhabi. And I was like, whoa, things feel like they're kind of snowballing. And that's when I (laughs) actually back it up a sec. So my boss was also wanting to take his position, which was as a director. And I was his retirement plan. And so he had given me a buy when date of saying, do you want my job or not? Because I hadn't given him a solid yes, so that we could start training for this for like the next four years. And I went in there, I think like December, and I was like, I'm very sorry, but I just I don't know where I'm going to live in the next few years. Like, I don't know what my future holds. Like, I don't know. So that was kind of the start, like in the back of my head, I was like, I think I might want to be a full time content creator. But I didn't say that to him because I was like, everyone's going to think that's crazy. But from there, I kind of just started again, like this was a business, I was approaching it really strategically, what brand deals started to come in. And it was literally like two months after that, that I gave him like a six month notice. And it was like, okay, I think I'm going to give this thing a try. Like, and I know my story, I feel is a bit all over the place. But I also had waited until my content creating income had matched my full-time income. So I had already proven to myself that I could replace this income. I know a lot of people have left their day jobs earlier and kind of have just trusted that they could make this work. But I also am still currently the only income in the household because my husband's gone back to school. He's done a big career change too. So we couldn't just be like, oh, it'll be fine. Like we'll rely on him. Like we had to make sure this really was going to pay our bills. Yeah, absolutely. And so, and I might have seen on stories, I think that he's doing a little bit of work for you and helping you out too. Yes. Yes. It has been truly amazing. Um, It's kind of bittersweet because it's gone really fast and he will probably be going back to school in September. So I'll have to like figure out what my next plan is, but he's taken over things like emails, invoicing. He's rough edits my YouTube videos. He's recently started learning how to do SEO for blog posts. And it's, again, it's that feeling of like a weight lifted. It was really hard to pass things on because even though I was drowning in all of it, I was like, I'm still the best at it. I can do it better than anyone else can. Even though I was like hundreds of emails behind, I was like, I'm the only one who can do this. (laughs) But so it was definitely like, I had to just be really honest with myself. And it was like, him answering emails, for example, maybe not completely in my voice, but at least like not weeks behind was better. <laughs> so yeah, it's been really nice. I love this because I struggle a lot to outsource. Like I find myself able to and just not doing it because like you said, I, I'm like, I'm the only one who can do it. <laughs> but it's, you said something before, I think it was on stories or maybe earlier in this episode where it, you were saying that it's better to be done than like done perfectly, you know, and that kind of inspired me a bit. I really do need to like let the reins go because right now I'm going like full force into a couple things whenever I could be relaxing a little bit and maybe spreading my energy and not having to make everything so perfect. And I think a lot of creators can learn from that too. I'm sure that's not something you learn overnight, um, no, so, we're still, and we're still navigating it. <laughs> and that's 
it's everything. I'm sure everything we've talked about today is like, it's all ongoing. We never, it's never like, that's another misconception. There's never this part in their journey where it's like, okay, that's checked off the list. I'm done with that. You know, it's always something to learn. Everything is always progressing. So that being said, what do you think was the hardest part about letting go that more maybe stable or consistent environment? I don't know if I want to call it that because they both can be, but going from that into kind of being your own boss and delegating everything. How was that? I was very open that I had a hard time and not in like what I think a lot of people think there. It's like, Oh no, you don't have like stable income. You don't have benefits, all that sort of thing. Like that had nothing to do with it. I feel very blessed and grateful that like the income has been steady. Like, and by some crazy chance, every time it looks like we're getting a little tight before rent is due, like somebody pays. (laughs) And a brand payment will come through. And it's funny because it's like part of this too is that I have brand deals signed. Like I have these contracts signed like for the rest of the year. And we're only like three months in, like very candidly, I have signed almost 70,000 for this year. But (laughs) I'm very excited. But they don't pay quickly. Yeah. Oh yeah, no. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's like... I am like, I know it's there. It's on paper. I've done work. I've invoiced, but it's like, yeah, it's not, it's not coming in in a timely fashion. So you still have like a little bit of that stress, but the hardest part for me was actually kind of coming back to what you're saying with like time management, comparison, this personal pressure of productivity, like that was actually like crippling for me. I had thought that like, okay, when I had my day job, I was on overdrive. Like I was taking business calls, brand briefing meetings, like on my lunch breaks or like on a little coffee break, I would come home, I would shoot, I would work till like 1am. My weekends were full, like every single moment of the day I was working. So I thought that when I left my day job, I would be like X times more productive (laughs) because I now had X times more free time. And when I wasn't, it was actually like paralyzing and I would scroll through TikTok. And I think again, like your content really kind of helped pull me through too, where you're like, this is like what the life of like a creator looks like. It's not all green juice and like power walks and all of this, like this stuff, because I was seeing that, like I was seeing these amazing days in the lives and people just being so productive, so organized. And I was over here, like, I cannot get out of bed or like can't stop for staring at a blank screen or like out the window or doom scrolling for hours. And yeah, it took me like a really long time to get out of that. And I think something I had also seen like on TikTok, they were saying that when you come out of a high stress situation and like that could be something of trauma or just something where you're like super productive and like busy, your body actually goes into like this hibernation, like sleep state after it like needs to recharge from all of that. And so it's like when you actually don't have to be on all the time, your body then crashes on purpose. And I think that's what I was experiencing. And it took me like, I would say like a month because I left my day job in May and then VidCon was like June a month later. And like that entire in-between space, I was just like, like nothing was coming out. There was no new YouTube videos. There was like, I disappeared off Instagram. Like, which was so ironic because I was like, this is the time that we're supposed to be killing it. So yeah, I think, yeah, that 
self-pressure was a lot to deal with in the transition. It's so underestimated, those phases, because obviously people don't post about them as much. Like even when we share about them on stories and stuff, it's not necessarily in our feed. You know, I've learned that a lot of people are like that, where either whether it's because they are coming out of a super high stress situation and now they have this time to actually relax or they're freezing up because of the overwhelm of everything they have ahead of them, or maybe both. It gets cyclical. It's like they have this big idea and then they're like, I'm not going to do anything though about it for like months because I'm scared. Like I'm preparing mentally, you know, I'm overwhelmed. And then once they do it, or even talking from my own perspective, once I do it, I'm in that overdrive mode. And then I go back into the tired mode because I just put this big project out. And so you might never come up on it again. I hope you don't have a spell like that. (laughs) But those things where it's also another thing that you can never necessarily check off the box because there can be that next level. So, yeah, no, I definitely, I will say, I feel like I have come back into something similar, like not as long and as deep as that, but it definitely hits. Like I definitely will feel like, okay, I'm not doing enough or actually this is kind of a funny story. I was filming something actually for Pinterest the other day and I filmed it. I had like my hair and makeup on and I sent it off. Great. And it was for like a good chunk of cash. But then I just sat there paralyzed because I was like, okay, my hair is done. My makeup's done. I need to shoot a YouTube video. Like it will be a waste of my time if I don't do it. But I was paralyzed because I wasn't sure like what video to film. And I was just all upset about it. And Darren, my husband came over and he's like, first of all, you got dressed for this video or for this Pinterest piece of content and you were paid for it. It's not a waste. Like you don't need to do more than that. (laughs) It's like, it's not a waste. You did something with that. You don't have to squeeze every piece of content out of like the fact that you were dressed and looked nice today. Like it's fine. You did enough, (laughs) but it's hard. It's hard to get out of that mindset. It really is, especially, you know, in in a traditional job, you have a little validation and a little bit of like, you did it correctly, or like, this is what you should do next, just any type of guidance, like sometimes Mm -hmm. having all these ideas as a creative person, for some reason, we get so caught up in like, which one should we do first, or, you know, all of that. And it kind of goes back to your concept of like, just do it just do it instead of doing it perfectly, you know, otherwise you'll never do it because it's never going to be perfect. So yeah, I think that's kind of what I always come back to in those moments when I freeze up like that. It's like, just pick one, just do it. (laughs) But yeah, I I do find it gets easier every time I go through one of those phases to like cope with it the next time. So that's what I'm always hoping. I'm like looking at a future version of myself, like she's going to be really good at coping with those yeah, she's going to be all right. One day. Not, not this girl. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, it's good to hear your experience in that. I'm not alone in that. Other people listening aren't alone in those kind of phases. And yeah, I think that that difference in structure from a traditional job is a big part of it too. Absolutely. Is there any one thing that you think if you could go back, you know, to just before you quit and tell yourself like, this is what you need to prepare for. What do you think you might tell yourself? Oh, I, (laughs) I wish, and this is something that, again, I'm still like, I'm, we're like a year coming up on a year and I'm still trying to figure it out, 
but I just wish that I had, okay, I'm split between being like, it's enough and you did okay. <laughs> while also being like, oh, you could have probably prepared a bit better. <laughs> because I, I, there were a lot of things that I wish I had had like a foundation for. So like, I wish I had had like a backlog of blog posts and YouTube videos and stuff so that I could have just been casually posting it while I was like through that downtime. So like perfect world, you know, that would be great. But obviously like past KO was not equipped for that, wouldn't have been able to do that. She was like going through it. And also the transition out of my day job caught me by surprise because I was training for a month, training somebody for a month. And I didn't have like the downtime even at work at my desk that I would have been able to just casually check emails on. So yeah, so I think like the kinder side of me, like going back to Kea back then would just be like, it's okay. Like take the rest you need without feeling guilty. Like you don't need to dive into it head first. Like it will all kind of work itself out. You're going to be able to pay your bills. Like that's enough. <laughs> like you don't need to be doing more than that. You don't have to put the pressure on yourself. I love that. I hope everyone took that to their heart. <laughs> that is very, very, yeah, it's really good to talk about it. It's super comforting even to hear you like talking to your past self. I feel like you're talking to me too. We're all like in it together going through it. So yeah, that was awesome. I feel like everything that we've talked about has been extremely valuable. Again, just getting an outside perspective, even like from two people who are in similar niches to an extent. Like, I know you have your other side too. It's just goes to show the different experiences that the same niches can have, I guess, like the different experiences that people can have within the same industry. And yeah, that's the whole point of the show. I'm really excited to talk more with you, hopefully another time. But is there anything else that you want to wrap up? Maybe let people know where they can find you would be awesome. I'm sure people are going to be running to your page to check you out. (laughs) Well, I guess, first of all, I just want to say like huge congratulations. And I'm so excited for like to see where this podcast takes you because the conversations are so important. And yeah, I think we often think that content creating is this like one size fits all. And I love that you're doing the work to counter that. So first of all, give your flowers. Congratulations. So proud of you. (laughs) And yeah, if anybody wants to kind of follow my journey, um, I think what would be most valuable for fellow creators would be the Creating with Kea brand. So I try to post weekly YouTube videos there. I have a blog, creatingwithkea.com. And then the Creating with Kea handle literally everywhere, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, <laughs> all your all your content creating tips there. And if you are into hair, beauty, lifestyle, give Comfy Girl Curls a check out too. Yeah. And I'm going to have all of Kea's information linked in the show notes for everyone listening. So you guys can easily find her. All right, Kaya. Well, we're going to catch up soon on socials. And thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. If you liked this episode, it would make my day to hear about it. Please don't hesitate to share your thoughts on Instagram and tag me at Gina Galliotto or shoot me a DM letting me know so I can continue sharing episodes you love. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe to the Social Spectrum podcast and leave a five-star review so we can stay in each other's worlds. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today. Until next time, friend.